Hey, church family. I had a chance to bring a word yesterday regarding intimacy versus activity. And the Holy Spirit fell in a very powerful way, especially after Tiffany shared her heart on the subject as well. I hope that you take time to listen to this word as we study the lives of Martha and Mary. It's my hope that you will respond to the call to greater intimacy with Jesus. I want to talk to you this morning about intimacy versus activity. This is based on a message the Lord gave me a few years ago for a pastor's conference in Costa Rica. What's interesting is that I had prepared a few different messages and didn't have the keynote address yet and got on the plane not having the keynote address yet. And on the plane, the Lord gave me this word. And it impacted me a lot because it's primarily speaking to me. (laughs) I'm really challenged by this word and always have been. And... I kind of assumed when New Song started a couple years ago that I was supposed to give this message and I prayed and the Lord said no. And I've been kind of checking in now and then. I really believe that the Lord spoke and said now is the time for this word. So this is a little bit of a study of the lives of two characters from the New Testament, Martha and Mary. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. And as they traveled along, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his message. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. When the Lord showed me this that day on the plane, he revealed to me something that he showed me many times about myself, that I kind of have that Martha heart. But beyond that, I believe he showed me something for the church, for the body of Christ, and that is that Mary and Martha both represent the church. Don't think about a church. Think about the body of Christ, which we often refer to as the bride of Christ. And these two women, for us today, I believe, represent the body of Christ, who she was meant to be, versus how she often tends to be. I want you to see, first of all, that Martha is busy making preparations. Mary is at Jesus' feet. Martha is talking to Jesus. Mary is listening to Jesus. Jesus tells Martha she's worried about many things and only one thing matters. Jesus tells Mary... She got it right, and her reward will not be taken from her. This word, worried, it's a very old verb, and it really means anxiety. The literal translation is to be divided, drawn in opposite directions, divided into parts, figuratively to go to pieces. Does that sound like the church? (laughs) Yes. He uses this other word, upset, 
which comes from a word that means to disturb greatly, to terrify, to strike with panic. So this is actually a very hard rebuke that Jesus gives Martha in this moment. Here she's frustrated because she's not getting any help. It's one of those moments where she's probably trying to make eye contact with Mary, like, hello, got all these people to serve. And Mary is fixated on Jesus. And it's making Martha more and more frustrated. And she finally goes to Jesus. Do something about this. If I were the king of the universe in bodily form, I'd probably say, thank you so much. You're such a great host. Just relax for a few minutes. <laughs> I mean, it, there's not even any quote-unquote graciousness here. It's you are greatly divided and you are terrified. Here's how you are. Guess what? These things don't matter. Mary's chosen the thing that matters. That's what he says to her. Obviously, we know everything about Jesus, his personhood, his demeanor was gracious and loving. I'm sure that Martha was able to receive that word because of how Jesus gave it to her. But I want to continue and look at two more examples. The only two other stories that we have in the New Testament of Martha and Mary. First of all, John 11, verse 20 through 34, and then John 12, 1 through 8. So let's look at... John chapter 11, 20 through 34. Honey, you want to read that? Sure. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? All right, and Jeffrey, can you read John 12, verses 1 through 2? Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus uh, was among those who ate with him. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, uh, the disciple who would soon betray him, 
That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should, uh, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Thank you. Okay, I want you to note something interesting. In both of these stories, Martha is still the busybody. But what do all three of these stories have in common regarding Mary? Listen to this. In all three examples, Mary is at Jesus' feet. First, she's at his feet listening. Then she's at his feet petitioning. And then she's at his feet ministering. Listening petitioning and ministering to Jesus always in a posture of worship. Again, I believe this is a picture of who the bride of Christ was meant to be. Okay, let's let's look back at the Lazarus story real quickly. There's a couple of key differences to point out. First of all, Martha goes to meet Jesus while Mary waits to be summoned by Jesus. This is really powerful for me because I feel like I'm Martha. Oh, Jesus is in town, let's go. Let's go right now, let's go. And that seems to be the right answer. For some reason, Mary was compelled to wait, to wait to be called. Martha got up and acted. That's consistent with her personality. She immediately acted. She immediately went into gear. Mary waited. I believe that this is an example of presumption versus genuine faith. Beloved, faith is often actually presumption. What we think as faith, what we think, okay, this is a a way of behaving in faith, is actually presumption. We're actually very familiar with this on a cursory level. A lot of times you'll hear somebody talking about making a purchase to buy a car or a, something big, and they'll say, you know, I took a, a leap of faith and just did it. I took a leap of faith and made that payment. I took a leap of faith and bought a new washer or dryer or refrigerator, the things that we need to buy, right? What they mean is I'm assuming there's no other way to get this thing, so I, I bought it. If you extrapolate that out into kingdom things, that's often how we behave, is presumptively instead of with faith. So don't mistake action for faith. In this case, Mary waited on Jesus and he did call her. Martha is assumptive about her clout, her complaint, and her clock. That's basically our position, our petition, and our timing, things to be really careful of with regard to waiting on the Lord versus assumptive behavior. On the other hand, Mary appears to know when to go versus when to wait. She quietly waits and then quickly obeys when she's called. It makes me think of Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Something else super interesting about this is, look, In this Lazarus story, here's the bride of Christ, right? 
modeled through Martha and Mary. They both make the exact same statement to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Same thing is on their heart. But Martha gets a word exchange, and Mary gets to see Jesus' heart. When did Jesus have this emotional response? With Mary. Martha came and asked the same thing. Martha took action, went to Jesus, addressed her complaint. Jesus explained things to her. And then we can infer from the text, based on what Martha says to Mary, he summoned Mary. She goes back to the house, says, the master's calling you. Mary quickly gets up, goes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and is weeping. And in her tears, asks the same question, makes the same statement, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have saved him. And that's when we see Jesus' heart. Mary gets the intimacy. Martha gets the data exchange. Martha approaches with presumption and with a prepared argument, and Mary comes with humility, weeping, and a posture of worship. So I want to point out something here. Commentators are in disagreement about Jesus' emotions in this moment. And some of you have probably heard teachings on this. They're split on this. Either Jesus was simply very deeply moved with compassion, or he was actually indignant, even angry, about the hypocritical emotions from the professional mourners. Because remember it says, and he sees the Jews weeping, and he becomes upset. So there's actually an interesting word that's used there that makes a lot of theologians believe that he was angry due to the hypocrisy of the professional mourners that showed up there juxtaposed with genuine mourning from Mary, whom he loved. Mary's at his feet, weeping, and here come these paid mourners. Charles John Ellicott says, the cause supplied by the text is that he saw Mary lying at his feet, weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. Real sorrow, which calls forth all his sympathy, is accompanied by the mockery of sorrow, which can shed tears for the brother whom they afterwards seek to kill. These Jews are those who sought to stone their teacher and had resolved to cut off from all religious and social intercourse everyone who acknowledged him as the Messiah. With hearts full of hatred, they can profess to be comforters and can mingle their tears with hers. The severest words that fell from the lips of Christ were those which denounced the hypocrisy of priests, Pharisees, and scribes. It is this hypocrisy that now stirs in his spirit an anger so intense that it causes nerve and muscle and limb to tremble beneath its force. So, was Jesus angry? Or was he sincerely moved in heartfelt compassion and emotion? I don't know. But in either case, note that it's Mary who provokes the emotional response. It's Mary being in the presence of Jesus. That didn't happen with Martha. Again, it's the worshiper. It's the one who pursues intimacy with Jesus that gets to see his heart. Whatever that heart may be. A heart of compassion. A heart of indignance. Whatever it is that he's feeling at the moment, 
It's the intimate one. It's the one who's pursuing intimacy with Jesus that gets to see that. I want to look again at the anointing story. Jeffrey read John 12, and in verse 3, it says, Mary took about a pint of expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Have you ever asked yourself why this perfume was so expensive? It's mentioned in several gospel stories, and every time it's either told to be expensive or very expensive. It turns out that one of the reasons why it's so expensive is because nard was made from a plant that was only growing in the Himalayas. In fact, the plant was at an elevation of between 10,000 and 16,000 feet. It's the only place you could get this plant. Now, I'm not suggesting that Mary herself ascended and collected this plant and created the nard. However, somebody did. That's why it was so expensive. That's why it was so costly. To get it, you had to ascend the mountain. Psalm 24 Verses three through six say, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Mary's walking around carrying this very expensive nard that can only be acquired by ascending the mountain. And have you ever noticed she forgets to bring a towel? She brings the most expensive anointing oil she could bring. Incredibly expensive. Great value. Judas is indignant about it. In other gospel writers, they say everybody was indignant. What a waste. So why would she do that and not bring a towel? I don't think she forgot a towel. I think her plan all along was to use her own hair to wipe the feet of Jesus so that she could keep some of the experience with her so she could walk away with it. Everywhere she went, you guys, you had the perfume filled the room. Everybody was instantly aware. Oh, that's Nard. Instantly aware. And she knew she'd get to keep the experience with her. She goes into the store. She walks down. Everywhere she goes, there's that very strong fragrance on her. A constant reminder. A constant reminder of her intimacy with Jesus. A constant reminder of her moment with the Lord that nobody could ever take away from her. And it's front and present. It's over her. It's on top of her. It's around her. It's everywhere she goes. And she's carrying it on her person. So intimacy versus activity, why is this important? Why does it matter? Why would intimacy matter? There's a couple of verses that, that came to my mind this week. Luke 13, 25 says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer to you, I do not know you. I don't know you. Wow. Matthew 
7.22-23. to On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Oh my gosh, that's so brutal, Jesus. Workers of lawlessness. Here they are, busily working for Jesus. You guys, they're not working for Satan. They're casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They're healing the sick in the name of Jesus. They're doing all the stuff. You guys, they're successful. They have the road tour ministry. They are successful. They're the guys. And many of them will stand before Jesus and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I believe this is what he's talking about. I never knew you. We never had relationship. You and I, we never had intimacy. You don't know me. How much of my heart have I been able to show you, he says. How much of my compassion have I been able to show you? How much of my indignance have I been able to show you? How much have you shown me? I've always wondered about this, you workers of lawlessness. That's pretty brutal. I mean, that's pretty harsh. Here they are doing the work of the Lord. And he says, you workers of lawlessness. It occurred to me this week when I was looking at this. I believe this is a quote. Jesus often quotes scripture. To me, it looks like Jesus is quoting David. David in Psalm 6, verses 6 through 10. Listen to this. David says this, starting in verse 6. I am weary from groaning. All night I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes fail from grief. They grow dim because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Listen again to verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Jesus says, I will say to them in that day, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He's quoting David. Workers of iniquity equals those who oppose his intimate ones. What does David represent? Man after the Lord's heart. Here he was, a sinner, right? Of biblical proportions. <laughs> But what's he known as? What does God himself call him? A man after my own heart. David knew God's heart. God knew David's heart. They clearly had intimacy in their relationship. And David is saying, I'm groaning, I'm crying, I'm pouring out my tears because of my foes. Depart from me you sinners, because the Lord has heard me. Jesus quotes this and says, I'll say to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity, quoting David, aligning with David's heart in that moment and saying, 
those who are in opposition to my intimate ones, I am against. This is his heart. His heart is for his intimate ones. Tiff, you want to share a little bit of your heart? It's, I didn't even know Chris was going to teach on this. But this morning, the Lord had me in Exodus 33 and 34. And the cry of my heart to the Lord was the same cry that Moses had when Moses said, if you don't go with us from this place, don't take us. Mm. And I was telling the Lord, you can have it all. You can have new song. You can have canopy. You can have the prophetic collective. I, I don't care. I'm just going to give it all to you. It doesn't matter because if we don't have your presence and we don't see your face, don't even take us up from this place. I, I don't want to move. I don't want to go from this place. Can I just stay in the closet in your presence? Because I don't want to go from this place if we don't have you. And I believe that this is a word not just for my own life, because honestly, I don't know. I was telling Candy, I don't know how to take the promised land that God said, this is yours, take it, and yet remain in this kind of intimacy with Jesus. I don't know how to do this. He's taking me to a new place I've never been, because he's saying, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. But I'm like, Lord, I can't, I can't. I believe this is something he wants to do in the church. He's stripping off all of our busyness. He's stripping off all of our stuff that we do for God, all the hype, all the, we've talked about this at New Song, so much of worship is hype. It's just hype, hype, hype. It, 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 and he's stripping it all away and he's saying, will you come in to the intimate place? Will you be my lover? Will you get on your face before me? Will you know my heart? And will that be enough to satisfy you? And I feel like if we don't get this, we're going to miss what God is doing in this hour. We're going to miss it, church. We're going to miss it because he's going to pass right by and he's going to go to the ones who are on their faces. And we're going to be busy doing our stuff. We're going to be busy working for God. And he's going to say, I didn't know you. I believe I believe he's ushering us into a new season. As I said, I believe he's taking us into a new place in this time period. And this is a Kairos season. It's a Kairos moment where the windows of heaven are open and the Lord is saying, come in. Come into what I've prepared for this moment in history. But it's only going to be those who know the heartbeat of Jesus. Yes. I feel this so strongly, church. If we don't know his heartbeat, we're going to miss it. We're going to sail right past it in our busyness. And I'm just confessing to you, I, this morning I just laid on the floor and I said, Jesus, just strip it all. Just strip it all. I do not want to be known when I get to the end of my life as someone who is busy for God. God forbid that be my epitaph that I was busy for God. All I want to be known as is a woman who saw his face. Nothing else matters. And I believe the Lord is asking us in this moment, are you willing to let that be all that matters? Are you willing to be a person known as, oh my gosh, when I was with that person, I was changed because they had been with Jesus and I felt the presence of Jesus and I was in the presence of Jesus when I was with them and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. 
and nothing else satisfies. <laughs> you know, when the Lord, when the Lord starts doing something like this, when he starts stirring our spirits, when he starts issuing out a call to his body, we start hearing the trumpet sound and he starts saying, I'm moving, I'm speaking. Will you respond? We have a choice. We can move right past it, agreeing in our heads, but changing nothing in our lives. Or we can stop and say whatever it takes, Jesus. I just have to have more of you. Lord, I just repent on behalf of the church. I repent on behalf of my brothers and sisters. God, I just cry out for your mercy and your forgiveness for the way that we have been busy for you, but not intimate with you. Forgive us, Jesus. God, this is just, it's so multi-layered. It goes so deep. It runs deep. And I just pray that you would strip this away from us as your church. Strip it away. Strip it away that there would be one thing that we would crave, one thing that we would crave, and it's your face, and it's your presence, Lord. And Father God, I just repent to you right now. Lord, I confess to you my Martha tendencies. Lord, I repent to you for presumption. In moments where I should be waiting on you. And I the same, Lord. Doing the work is not enough time. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. The work shall pass, but not in relationship with you. I repent for rejoicing in the gifts rather than the giver. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. You are the true gift. Yes, Jesus. 
I believe the Lord is speaking for Joshua 3. Joshua is speaking to the children of Israel as they're about to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And he tells them, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We've been crying out for the wonders. We've been crying out for the signs. We've been crying out for God to move. But the Lord is saying, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves, beloved that there would be no other lovers, that there would be no one competing in your heart, nothing competing in your heart. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. For tomorrow I'm going to do wonders among you. I am going to do wonders among you. But consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart as holy unto me. Only unto me. I can't explain why the Holy Spirit is so strong on this this morning. I can't explain why there's such a, a deep emotional response. I just know that God is speaking so strongly. And we have a chance to act. And we cannot let it pass us by. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yes.
to find.